HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kat Johnson, the Communications Director at HRN. Before we get to this week's episode of Beer Sessions Radio, we wanted to update you on your host, Jimmy Carboni. Jimmy is currently recovering from two spinal surgeries due to a staph infection. He's in good spirits and being given great care at NYU Langone, but he has a long road to recovery ahead of him. If you'd like to show Jimmy some love and support, please consider contributing to his wellness fund at gofundme.com slash jimmywellnessfund. Jimmy is nothing if not a dedicated host, and he wanted to make sure we had a show for you this week. So we're bringing you an episode of On the Road with Beer Sessions Radio, part of a limited series that took Jimmy on the road in New York State to bring you stories of the best beer, ciders, and spirits. We hope you enjoy. Hey, 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 this is Beer Sessions Radio. For the next few months, we're going on the road in the Empire State. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I've been working with beer for over two decades. Most of my work is in my bar, Jimmy's Number 43, in the East Village, or in the studio at the Heritage Radio Network as the host of Beer Sessions Radio. In my time, I've seen major changes in the craft beverage industry. There's a big movement right now to know where your food comes from and to consume local artisanal products. When I buy kale at the farmer's market, it's easy for me to feel part of this movement. But every time I enjoy a cold beer, I don't always think about where the beer comes from. And since I live in a city of 8 million people, I forget that beer, cider, and spirits are all agricultural products. This is the third episode in a very special series of Beer Sessions Radio. Over the next few months, I'm going to take you out of the studio and into the fields, malting houses, breweries, and distilleries of some of New York's best craft beverage producers. I'm really excited to have you on this journey. In this episode, we will take you near New York State's capital of Albany. That's where lots of important decisions are made that affect how craft beverages can be sold and consumed. One of my favorite decisions that lawmakers have made in the past decade was the passing of the Farm Brewery License, or what I'd like to call a License to Brew.
Hey, hey, hey. This is our third episode of On the Road with Beer Sessions Radio. It's July 17th. 2016 it happens to be the 100th anniversary of this great farm here, Indian Ladder Farms. And we're here in Altamont, New York, just outside of Albany. And what's exciting about this this journey that we're on, uh, we, we already went to meet some new primitives in the Hudson Valley, and we went to the edge of the wild in the Catskills. And we're kind of going back in time. We're going to a place, a historical farm that, that used to be a, a real farming area. And this family, the Ten Ikes, have kept it alive for 100 years. There's some stickers out here, no farms, no food, American Farmland Trust. I know this is Stewart's car. Laura Tenike is a works for American Farmland Trust. What's up, Stuart? How are you, man? We're going live from the minute we get here. Good to see you, man. You too. This is Stuart, glad, glad Stuart Morris, uh, one of the partners here. Indian Ladder. How was the drive up? It was nice, man. Came up the Taconic, went over the Rip Van Winkle Bridge. For me, that was romantic. Columbia County to Greene County. So what do you think out here? It's pretty crazy. It's pretty nice, man. It's beautiful. We're, uh, we're loving it. We're having a huge day, so. Just very you thrilled got? you guys could be here. What you got on tap today? We have some understudy IPA, which is uh, one of our collaborations with Chatham Brewing Company and, uh, you know, with our heritage hops that we have. Love it. I find it, bro. <laughs> you need to see activity in, in farm areas, and that's what the, the farm realizes up invigorate, you know, this place, which has been forever a place to pick your own, and it's a place where there's a market, but the, adding the brewery and the cidery. It just, it just gives so much more life and energy, but it's also working energy. They're working the fields. They're growing the hops tomorrow. They're going to they're gonna, uh, use a combine and harvest some grain. So they're working as farms, and they also have consumers coming here spending money. But there's assets in this farm, like the old barns, which you can use. It's one thing about, like we went with Jake from From the Ground Brewery. He was also in a farm, you know, so they have space. They have room to grow, and you're, and you're seeing things like, oh, carefully kept stone walls and, and activity and people, and that's what... That's what the farm license is about, is getting these farms to actually have commerce and move move forward, like in the 21st century. You know, not just get stuck, because some of these farms were just dairy farms, and for a long time, I think there's over 3 million acres of New York State farmland that's, that's empty. to learn about we're pulling in a little dirt road yesterday there was a festival they had bands and uh nice old barn the indian ladder farms uh there's the heidelberg escarpment it's this beautiful cliff that's like this geological wonder um there's caves and limestone and because of it it, it keeps um you know the weather patterns here really like balanced but we're going to talk a lot about that and this hop the thing i'm most excited about is on the right here there's there's the hop hops plants growing and uh, we haven't seen too much of that in New York State but I think this might be the biggest hop hop uh, farm in New York State right now there's one new aspect of the Indian ladder farms they, they're growing barley for beer and uh, we just got her today and they're harvesting the barley now they got a combine and they're gonna go out in the field actually there's a threat of rain um, they didn't want to harvest in the morning because of the dew 
but it's right before noon. And uh, we're here with a Stuart Morris, who's one of the owners of the Indian Ladder Farms Brewery. So we're gonna get out now and, and talk to him. Good morning. How you guys doing? Hi, I'm Stuart Morris from Indian Ladder Farmstead Brewery and Cidery, or Cidery and Brewery. And uh, welcome. Dietrich, introduce yourself. Uh, Dietrich Herring, Indian Ladder Farmstead Cidery and Brewery. Welcome to Indian Ladder Farms. We have an issue. Uh, he just blew a hydraulic line over there, and that truck roaring off was just going up to the shop to get parts to see if we can get that thing rolling again. We had a, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's farming. We're going along good. Everything's coming off. We're racing against the weather here. It looks like by 1.30 it's going to be raining. We're trying to get that truck filled and in the barn so we can protect it so tomorrow morning we can take it up to the seed cleaner, clean it, and dry it. So that's the way things go on the farm. <laughs> so the, the moisture level is perfect right now, but a little rain, and then it puts us back a few days, and it really damages the uh, proteins. and it's gonna Our be, color. It's going to be a problem. We want nice, if you look out there right now, it's nice pale color. Um, if it rains on it again, it's going to turn a little darker, and so it's, when it malts, it's going to be that color. And you can always make, you know, malt darker, but you can't make it lighter. <laughs> so, so what is it? Is this that barley? This is a two-row barley. It's something we're new. Uh, we're growing. We've uh, grew it last year. It's called Synergy. It's funny. We came here to look at your hop, hop fields, and uh, we're in the grain field instead. It's, it's kind of exciting, but I can see how stressed you guys must be. A little bit right now. It's like it's always a, it's a race, you know, and this is what happens. We're, we thought we were doing pretty well here. We got a barn cleaned out to back it in. We got, you know, I'm looking at the weather on the phone here continuously, watching the storm come. And uh, so, you know, and then we we're going great. You know, it's no problem. We're going to get it done. Yeah, the clouds and then, are coming in fast, And man. then all of a sudden there's hydraulic fluid spraying out of the side of the machine. So <laughs> hopefully we'll get this fixed. Going back to the origins of the farm brewery license and thus why you're planting grains and hops. Well, we started, we started hops, well, <laughs> we started hops about 25 years ago as home brewers and, you know, just uh, fooling around and, you know, wanted to grow something on the farm. And then we were, uh, Lori and I, uh, who's my wife, we were, um, we were gifted a section of the farm by her father-in-law and I guess uh, much to her protest to begin with, I decided that I was going to grow, uh, see if a hundred hop plants would grow, and you know, fortunately or unfortunately, they did. And so we uh, decided to do it on a commercial scale. Um, and it was about that time we started hearing, you know, uh, rumors of the farm brewery law, and uh, we we knew that that uh, that legislation existed, but it had never really moved very far until you know Governor Cuomo came in, and, and then all of a sudden it was fast tracked. And at that point, we decided, well, let's, uh, you know, we have kind of a destination farm here, and it seemed like kind of a I hate to say no brainer, but you know, to to have uh, a brewery on the farm. Um, and it was about that time. I so, said, well, if we're going to do it, let's do it really all the way, farm to glass, and let's try barley. And, you know, that proved to be just as difficult as hops. And <laughs> we're finally at a stage after five years where we're actually, you know, getting some crops um, off the fields, hops and, and barley. Talk about this. So this is what's already been harvested. And it looks like, to me, like that's about three tons, if I had to guess. And so this is what 
This is what cleans, this isn't cleaned, but this is directly off the combine. I'm chewing it. It's not like anything like malted. It's no. not crispy. No. It's not a snack food to put at the bar. This hey, is... look, somebody's here oh, to yes. fix the combine. Let's hope. <laughs> yeah, let's go down and see where Lori's at. She's um, probably at the tasting room of the brewery, and uh, from there it's a short walk to the hop yard. So. All right, hey. We're at Indian Ladder Farm with Laura Ten Eyck, and we're going to learn about what it takes to be a multi-generational farm, survive in New York, uh, work with a land trust, and be part of the New York uh, Farm Brewery's license. So, Laura, thanks for having us here. Thank you. Beautiful farm. Thank you. We're standing here uh, next to the historical marker that just got put up in front of Indian Ladder Farms to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the farm. It's our centennial celebration happened yesterday. And this farm was started by my great-grandfather, whose name was Peter Tenike, in 1916. This is 2016, so that's been 100 years. It's been in my family. My grandfather, great-grandfather rather, came out here and bought five small farms and combine them to make one big farm, relatively speaking. The farm's about 300 acres. And he was started a herd of Guernsey cattle, um, about 100 cows. He was really into breeding them for really high-quality milk, high butterfat content. And right after he died, my grandfather, also Peter, Peter Gansvort Didrich tonight, took over the farm. And unfortunately, just a few years later, the dairy barn caught on fire started by spontaneous combustion in the haymow. And unfortunately, the farm family that lived here, their last name was Meacham. One of the kids, who's actually friends with my dad, uh, woke up and smelled smoke and got his father up and everybody, and they ran to the barn and they got all the cows out. But the barn couldn't stop the fire. It's a great big shingled barn, very similar to this one here. And so it just, it was completely destroyed. So my grandfather, instead of going back into dairy, decided to try beef. So he started raising Hereford beef cattle, kept expanding the orchard. Eventually the orchards got into production and they phased out the beef cows. And that's when my father was a kid. And so when my father got to be a teenager, he started to sell apples on the front porch of the um, what is the packing house or was the packing house then. And it got really successful. All kinds of customers started buying apples. It was him and his friend Tom Meacham who was doing it. And they started making a ton of money. And my grandfather said, no more. You can't do it. You're making too much money. And he hired a produce manager to run it. And they had to work for him and be paid by the hour. <laughs> now let's talk more about you know, the, the, the role of keeping this as a farm. So first, we know that very few businesses alone, farms or businesses, survive even a second generation. So what do you attribute to, I mean, I know we can talk about the farm trust, but the, even the fact that you made it f through the first few generations, what, what, what kept it going during that time? Well, I think it's a commitment of each generation of the family not to let the farm go because there's a lot of challenges and there's always many points at which you could give up or decide it wasn't practical because you're not making a lot of money and it's a lot of work. So, well, let's walk around the farm a little bit. You can see back here, we have this mountain right behind us with this really tall limestone cliff. It's called um, the Heldeberg Escarpment. And, oh, you see here we have some kids. These are in our barn school. They're learning how to take care of the chickens. Hi, Sarah. 
Hi, kids. How you doing? Got some little chickens. Kids, you want to talk to us about what you're doing? Did they have chickens in the 1800s? No. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. What yeah. do they use the chickens for? Eggs. That's right. I keep saying it. We, we drive up here, and, you know, there's not too much going on farm-wise. Farm and So tell us about the role of the, the land trust and, and how you've really been able to keep this, not just going, but thriving. And Yeah, so we're beneath this really spectacular scenery, and there's a state park up there. The view from down here is tremendous. There's limestone cliffs, there's waterfalls. And, you know, this farm has obviously, as I just said, been here for like 100 years. Well, in the past, I don't know, 30 years or so, a lot of people have started moving out here because it's so scenic and it's close to Albany and they want to live in the country. So they've been buying up farms and farmland and building their houses. And in the 90s, it really kind of got out of control where they were building like giant mansions and uh, as we call them Mick mansions because they're not really mansions, but they're they're everywhere. So as you're driving, I'm sure you notice to the farm, you can see that it's houses, 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 and then those houses stop and it becomes a farm. You drive through the farm and on the other side of the farm, it's houses, 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 houses. And so we're under a lot of pressure here. Taxes are high. People want to buy land to build houses. And we didn't want to see that happen. And as long as we're here, we could control things to a certain extent, but we didn't feel 100% confident. So we um, applied to the state for funding to preserve the farm. Preserving farms is the role of the American Farmland Trust. Their motto is, no farms, no food. I also like to think of the motto of From the Ground Brewery, no farms, no beer. The role of the American Farmland Trust is to buy the development rights of farmland. That means that the land is protected for farming use. No one can build on the land. Indian Ladder Farm sold their development rights. We are the first and still the only farm in Albany County to do that. The state has funded protection of about two, over 200 farms throughout the state. So preserving farms and farmland sounds like a great idea, right? But how does it work and how does it benefit farmers? So the way that works is that land basically has more than one value depending on what it's used for. So you take a piece of farmland like this farm, for example, and you have it appraised at its value for highest and best use, which in the industry is real estate development, which is kind of ironic, but true. So that's what you could get the most money for if you sold the land. And then the appraiser assesses the land for its value for agricultural use. So that's a lower value. So the difference between that high value and the lower value is the value of your development rights. So what will happen is a land trust or another entity like the local government or the state government will have the funds to purchase from the farmer those development rights based on its appraised value. And this is good for farmers and for the future. And so the farmer gets that chunk of money, which is basically a portion of the equity of their land. And in exchange, an agricultural conservation easement is placed on the land. And what that is is a deed restriction saying that whoever owns that land can never develop it or use it for any purpose other than agriculture. And that restriction travels with the deed. So, for example, if my family is all gone and we're not here anymore and someone else owns the land, they're going to be under the same restriction that we're under now. And this will go on and on in a chain forever so that the land never gets built on. 
And this program also helps farms stay within families. So a lot of times a farmer, since farmers don't make a lot of money, they can't afford to just give their farm to their kids. They need to use the value of their farm to fund their retirement because they don't have a retirement plan, okay? So the kids can't afford to buy the farm from their parents, obviously, because the farm's worth a lot of money. So if the parents put an agricultural easement on the farm, sell the development rights, they take the money they get for the development rights, put that in their retirement account. Then they can sell the farm at its restricted value to the younger generation who can afford it because it's going to be a lot cheaper. And then that money goes into their retirement account. They got the full value of the farm, but it doesn't all have to come from the younger farmer. The conservation easement has been a huge help to keep Indian Ladder Farms going. Something else that has made a big difference for them is the farm brewery license. It would be illegal for us to make beer here on the farm, even with our own ingredients, without the farm brewery law in place. That's what made all this happen. The crux of it is that you have to use ingredients grown on a farm in New York, whether it's yours or somebody else's. And there's certain percentages of product that you have to use in order to meet the criteria of the law, and that becomes more and more as uh, time goes on and the farms get up to production. And, you know, there, there is some precedent in the state. Back in 1976, they passed the New York the Farm Winery License, which really created the, the growth of New York State Winery. So there was a model in place. What, what, what took it so long to go from winery to, to, to beer and cider? Well, I think that um, the craft beer market, the, the you know, the crazy growth of the craft beer market um, attracted the attention of the state leaders who were looking for economic development opportunities, particularly for agriculture, since it is such a big part of the state's economy. And um, it just, you know, the wine thing did it ran its course and became tremendously popular. And they saw the beer, people buying craft beers and all of this interest in craft beers, and it clicked that, you know, why not do the same for hard cider? Why not do the same for beer? And um, there had actually been some laws on the books already about hard cider that were sort of taking shape. And then the Farm Brewery Act kind of caught up with that. And um, now the two are sort of moving in parallel. And cider is, you know, even becoming as popular as craft beer and, you know, maybe even more so eventually. And let's go see the hops. We're going to go with Dietrich and, and yeah. Lori to see the hops. Sure. All right. That's, yeah, it's right across the road. So let's talk about hops. One thing that you guys have done last year, your, your book, the Hop Grows Handbook, came out. Yep. Um, just tell us that process, you know, why you wrote a book about it and what, what you're hoping to teach other people. Well, okay, so when we decided we wanted to, you know, the farm brewery law was in place and we wanted to start growing hops and we started doing research on how to do it. You know, being farmers, farmers do a lot of research and uh, start to grow new crops all the time. It's not uncommon, but there is a lot to learn. And we found that there really was, um, there were resources about growing hops in the Northeast, but... Hops hadn't really been commercially grown here for over 100 years, so there was no, like, big, um, you know, like we have for dairy programs of support and training and so on. And we had to rely on a lot of diffuse resources. Uh, The University of Vermont had been doing a research project for several years, so they actually had a little bit more content than other places. Cornell actually put their hop yard in after we had started putting our hop yard in. So, you know, there wasn't too much we could learn from them, although they did hire a hop specialist, Steve Miller, and he was learning a lot and 
So we just kind of pulled together all the resources we could. We went out west and we went to Yakima and we went to the Willamette Valley and we talked to the growers out there and learned as much as we could. And um, Chelsea Green Publishing saw the need for it and asked us if we would compile everything that we've learned into a book so we can get all the resources and basic information in one place. And uh, so we, we worked on that. We were learning trial by error and we tried to include as much of you know, our <laughs> failures in the story so that everybody else could learn from them. I would say, you know, the biggest thing that people need to do is, before they get started, is um, research the whole process because there's more to it than just putting them in the ground and then putting up the hop yard. That's the big challenge, and everybody gets really focused on putting up the hop yard because the infrastructure is really expensive and big. But the real stuff starts after your hops are maybe two or three years old, and you have to harvest and process that them. And traditionally, most of that is done like out west, right on the farm. So you have to have equipment in place, and you have to have knowledge because the quality of the product depends on how well you do that. So now we're walking from your farm across the the highway. I think that Dieter's going to join us too. And uh, oh, there he is now in his truck. Let's way. go down this way. So I got some stones in my shoe. Okay. Walking around. This is a real farm setting. The first thing we saw when we drove up yesterday and today are these beautiful, you know, I'm, the actual term, you know, they're hot vines, but they're on poles. Well, they're not actually on the pole, Jimmy. The pole is what's supporting the wire, okay? So the, the vines themselves are growing up the string that's hanging from the wire. Um, a long time ago, when they, in New York, they used to grow their hops up actual poles, like you say, like a cut tree and the hops would climb the tree. And eventually the wire trellis system was invented because people were using up all the trees for hop poles and they had to import them, you know, on train cars from like hundreds of miles away because they deforested everything. So we have poles, wire strung from the top of poles, and then a string called choir, which is a coconut husk fiber coming down from the top of the trellis, anchored in the ground and the bind climbs the string. Hey, Dieter, how are you, man? Very good. We're coming up. And, so now's our time. We got a little backstory on the farm, and we want to talk more about, you know, what it's like growing hops uh, what's and some of the history. Let's go back to the history. You were telling us about 19th century, from hop dances to harvesting. Oh, you mean the hop? You know, let's all go to the hop. That was uh, that was part of the big parties that they would have after hop picking and stuff, and so they'd have these big dances with bands and... A lot of people would meet their, you know, uh, future husbands and wives. I mean, it was it was such a big thing in, in Madison County that some of the big hop farmers out there would actually, um, they would uh, charter train cars and they would hand out flyers in Brooklyn and Manhattan, you know, to come out and pick because they, they needed like this massive crew of people um, for a very short period of time. I mean, the whole hop picking season is between four and six weeks. Um, and the rest of the year, you just don't need that, that many people. I mean, now we're, you know, a little more mechanized, so we don't need that. But, you know, a single hop plant can take um, an, a, a one person, you know, uh, all day to pick, you know, so it's... If you have like an acre is a thousand plants, so you know an average farm back then was probably around forty acres. So you can imagine trying to bring in that crop, you needed a mass of people. 
Um, now, for the most part, we do it with machines, so it's it's a lot easier. But you know, back in 1880, the New York State was was the king of hops. You know, people made a lot of money off of it. It was you know four million pounds at forty thousand acres in the state. What about the naysayers? We're talking about the farm brewery license. There's a lot of brewers that that say, oh, you can't, you know, really buy New York, you know, multi grain. You can't really buy New York hops. But I I, I disagree. And and. and Tell us how you feel. Well, I don't know. There's always naysayers and everything. I, I've been told in everything that we've absolutely done, oh, you can never do that. You can't do that for this or whatever reason. People would say you can't grow apples in New York State, but that's obviously not true. I mean, it, it's basically about the knowledge that, that you have and what you bring to it. Um, I mean, you're walking down through a hop yard right now. You can see hop cones growing. It, it obviously can be done. Um, and the same with barley. I mean, we can grow barley in this state, but it's 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 about knowledge and what you know, when to pick it, you know, when to plant it, um, when do you need to spray it, you know, do you need to spray it, you know. So we, we need to know these things. We need to know what varieties to grow. When we first started five years ago, there was nothing. But now, you know, places like Cornell have stepped up. You know, other people like myself have jumped into the game. So we do have, you know, more knowledge than we had just a few years ago. So right now we're in the middle of, of your hop. What are these called? Hop fields? What, uh, what are you the term for this? Generally, they're called a hop yard. Um, and this is, this is a one-acre yard we're walking through right now uh, on... The uh, right-hand side, this is a varied row, so it's we, we walk through some Cascade. We're now walking through some Chinook. On the left, this is this entire row here is Brewer's Gold, which is kind of an interesting older variety. Hops are absolutely amazing. By the solstice, if you've done everything correctly, they should hit the wire. And that's a pretty short period of time for a plant to grow 18 feet. Um, and then they start putting out side arms, and these are the side arms here you can see coming off the main stalk. And the side arms is where all the hop cones are going to be. In some weird ways, it seems like growing grapes. It's, it, there are a lot of similarities to growing grapes and apples. And you'll find that a lot of people, especially in New York State, you'll find that the people that are serious farmers that are doing it are, are generally apple or grape growers as well. They're beautiful. Dieter just handed me a hop. And tell me what I'm smelling and, and uh, well, this everything is, about this it. Is, um, this is one of our early varietals. This is the earliest varietal we have in our hop yard, which is Centennial, sometimes referred to as Super Cascade. Um, and if you break it open, I mean, this is a very, very young hop. It's not even close to maturity. But you can already see by breaking it open, you can see the lupulin glands in there, that yellow in there. When this is mature, this cone will probably be well, three times the size it currently is, and this will turn a much more orange color and be, I mean, you can smell that piney smell already in this, but this will be super pungent by the time it's ready to pick. What is harvesting hops akin to? Is it like harvesting berries in terms of like the, the, the fragility of it? Um, hops are very unique in the way they're harvested. I don't know of really any other plant that's really harvested the way hops are. I mean, if, if, again, you're looking at this plant, right? It's 18 feet high. We're going along and we chop it off at about chest high. Um, and then we chop it off at the top, up at the cable. And we take that whole plant 
and we load it in a truck and we take it and we can go down you can see our hop picker we run it through this machine that has these metal fingers on drums on it and it pulls all the leaves and cones off and then sorts them um, and then the cones are all uh, take you know are separated and that's what we put in the dryer and that's what that's what we want are the cones off of there when you when you first start out when we first start out you start with a hot picking party right and everybody's really excited they're all home brewers and they're really into it and a hundred people show up and you have food and you have beer and everybody picks your crop in the second year, not so many people come because hop picking is itchy and, you know, it's, it's work and stuff. And by the third year, nobody answers the phone when you call. So you need a machine. And so we've gone back to that old-timey thing. You know, it's like we now pick for 10 other farms. And because we are a regional hop picking and processing facility now, it's allowed those farms to expand a little bit. So farms that were a half acre now can put in another half acre and they can think towards putting in maybe another acre. It becomes more cost effective because you actually have that ability to, you know, pick and dry. Dieter, looks like the rain's coming in, man. The rain is coming in. We have our love-hate relationship with the rain. It never rains at the right time. We need the rain. <laughs> we need a fair amount of it. And right now we're really dry and we need the rain, but of course it's coming when we're trying to harvest barley. So, And we've got a broken combine down the road, and now this is going to set us back two days. But on the flip side of that, the hops need rain, so it's good for them. <laughs> and, it's good nice for, and it's good for the pumpkins, and it's good for the apple trees. <laughs> so we're, we're, it's, it's a constant... Farmers are never quite happy. <laughs> There's always something that's bugging us, and it usually has to do with the weather. <laughs> Our next stop is with some friends of Indian Lauda Farms. They're about 25 miles southwest of the farm. We're at the Cara Institute in Rensselaerville, New York. It's a pretty special place. It's been here a long time. It used to be known as the Rensselaer Institute. Right now, it's it's a, a nonprofit that hosts different conferences and a lot of focus on small business and, and uh, upstate issues. And they become a leader in uh, thinking about how to like get New York State really the brewing industry growing, implementing the farm brewery license. They're going to, um, they hosted several years ago a small grains workshop where a number of brewers that are our friends, like uh, Evan Watson, first came and got inspired uh, about brewing. So uh, we, we pulled up and there was like a, there's deer in, in the yard and it's, it's bucolic and beautiful. And this is one of like the quietest, most beautiful towns in New York State. And that's part of the, the journey that we're taking with uh, On the Road with Beer Sessions Radio because the more and more people are appreciating you know, the, the beauty of, of this part of, of the state. So we're happy to be here. We're going to go in and talk. They have a brewery on site, and uh, we're going to talk about some of the projects they're doing. Rebecca Plattel met up with us outside at the Cary Institute to show us around. Rebecca is the program manager for the Sustainable Communities Program at the Cary Institute. The Helderberg Brewery and Incubator are part of that program. 
Good My thing. biggest surprise when we came into town was just how beautiful and historic the, the Main Street is. And that's a key factor of so many places in New York. Mm-hmm. And what, what role are you guys doing? That? Like you're really caring about small towns and small businesses at the Cary Institute. Yeah, I mean, being here and growing up here and sort of having this organization here and, and you know, seeing kind of the ebb and flow of the community and just, you know, what's important and you know, how, how can we contribute to that and both providing jobs but also through our programming, what can we do to, to promote it not only here but in any other small community. It's challenging, definitely. It's a lot of work, definitely work, but... It's fun. One thing that we're learning on, on our journey on the road with Beer Sessions Radio is that each region is so different. And we're in Catskills where everything seems new. And here it's like these historical buildings. That I feel like that people are ready to come up and, and take back these old towns. Yeah. So this Rensselaerville sort of has a unique history and why the way, you know, why it is the way it is. And also it's linkage to the Cary Institute and the, the community, um, the sort of the founding members of the community and what they did historically. And you kind of look at that and you're like, wow, it's so impressive. Like, what are we doing? Like, what, what are we doing you know, comparatively? Um, and so the, the Hamlet is actually on the national and state register of historic places. So, you know, there's some kind of concern for what happens to the buildings and, and who's buying them and, or who's selling them and, you know, who's, who's occupying them or not. Um, but yeah, it's, we're kind of in a, a weird little place though at the same time. There's not many other places like, like Rensselaerville, I don't think. Um, especially, you know, in, in the hill towns where we are in Albany County, uh, we're kind of a, a unique place, but that comes with its, its, uh, <laughs> could also be sort of the stepchild of other places too, um. For sure, but, you're not that far from Albany, so you know this is this is a great place, and we love being here. Let's let's walk over to the brewery. So let's 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 take it back to what got you guys involved in the the craft beer scene in New York, and how you guys ended up having a brewery. So what? Tell us about a few years ago, you hosted a little conference with a small grains workshop. Which way should we go? Should we, we go? We should go up that way, and we'll it's walk. Beautiful grounds, and we're gonna walk. Nice the fields with the deer. Um, 2013, I had no idea what I was doing. The farm brewery legislation had just passed, and I was like, this is really interesting. How are they going to get all these crops? No one's growing anything. And the attention was really focused on hops. And, and finally, I was talking to someone at Cooperative Extension, and they, I don't know, maybe they were annoyed at me for, like, being persistent. They were like, you know, no one's doing anything on small grains. Why don't you do something on small grains? And I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> so we... We put a workshop together, um, and we put it together, and we had 120 people show up, um, ranging from, you know, growers, intermediary people who were sort of interested more generally, brewers, um, and it was just like a really sort of wow moment, like, okay, there's a lot of interest in this, and, you know, we should pursue it. One thing with the, the farm brewery license, there's so many new breweries in New York State. Do you feel like you guys are going to have a role in, in training and, and educating the, the, these new startups? Because they're, they're businesses, too. Mm-hmm. An important part of the upstate economy. Yeah, I mean, we, so we try to balance both workshops for production, for farmers, for you know, sort of more tangible, skills-based stuff for, for brewers who maybe aren't trained and maybe they don't have time to get training, but they, you know, they have a really specific need for knowledge on yeast or water quality or, um, you know, sensory evaluation. So we're trying to build those workshops, but also, you know, incorporate workshops on 
like you're saying, small business operation, how can you access grants? How, how good is your business plan? Are you, you know, <laughs> are you really sure you know what you're doing? You know, maybe you know how to brew beer, but maybe you're not totally sure of, of certain elements of, of running a business. Look at this beautiful yep. view. Everything here is views. There are like hills, there's <laughs> valleys. This is the most beautiful place in New York State. You've got an awesome view of the Catskills to the south. Um, to our immediate east, I suppose, is Lake Myosotis and the, the Hike Preserve, um, which is a 2,000-acre nature um, nonprofit organization. Um, and it ultimately all used to be owned by the same family. And at some point there was sort of a, a division of who owned what, but um, the Cary Institute property and, and the preserve were all sort of together. Uh, and so hypothetically, if you had been sitting on the, the porch of Stonecrop up there, you would have been able to look right over to the lake. All of these trees were not really there. Let's walk to the brewery. Come on. Right. And tell us about why you guys started a brewery again. Well, again. <laughs> You know, I think as we were getting into the small grains and 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 look at, and hops and and it was kind of like we should do this here. Like, why why is everyone else doing it? And you know, what what can we do here? Um, so we just sort of started going down this path, and um, we we took over this little cottage up here, um, and we again got some you know all on the premise that we wanted to be able to bring people in and help them improve their beer or learn how to brew beer or simply just you know be able to work with local ingredients on a small scale whereas if you're a large brewery you can't really do that consistently we we use all new york state grain and all new york state hops occasionally if it's a darker beer we can't find the malt we want we use out of state, but it feels like it's like sacrilegious. Like we can't, we can't put it in there. But there's a little sign. It's about the size of an eight by ten. It says Helderberg Brewery down this way. So we're gonna walk down the steps. Yeah. So this is a very little place, a very little cottage, but with a real big mission. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And you know, and there's beer. At Believe the end of the day, there's beer. <laughs> well, let's go inside What's though. Going? Yeah. Can we drink beer for breakfast? We, I, I think so. I mean, there's a porter that's like, you know, it's got lots of, uh, of malt in it. Helderberg Brewery at the Cary Institute, Rensselaerville, New York. 100% New York State grown hops and grain brewed on our campus. Wow. Here we go. It's a nice space here. I'm Greg Hostesh. I've um, been a brewer here at uh, Helderberg Brewery. I'm Greg Back. I am the project assistant for the Helderberg Brewery Incubator. I'm Rebecca Platel. I am the program manager for the Sustainable Communities Program at the Cary Institute, and the Helderberg Brewery and Incubator are a part of the Sustainable Communities Program. And um, yeah, man, well, it's nice being here. I like this little brewery. You guys, you guys want to show us around? Why don't we, why don't we look at the brewery first? We're um, very micro nano. Um, we have a three kettle, two thirds barrel system. Um, as you can see, we're quite quite small, but uh, been pretty well keeping up with our demand after uh, our opening and uh, trying to continue with uh, producing the, the beers that um, I like to drink. <laughs> when did you start brewing? I. St- 
started originally, I started probably in the uh, mid-70s when Jimmy Carter declared that homebrewing was legal in the U.S. Um, I made my first beer. At the time, I wasn't really drinking very much beer because the beer that was available was not really very good. Um, and as I say, I made that beer, and uh, some of the people that did drink beer at the time um, liked it fairly well. And uh, when Becca decided that uh, the sustainable communities program that um, we have to keep young people in the hill towns and how are we going to do that and well we don't have very much industry so maybe there's uh, agriculture and um, what can we grow here well we used to grow hops a lot in this area and uh, why can't we still do that and I guess it was uh, the, the notion that, well, everybody likes beer. Finally, we, after it seemed like almost forever, we got uh, our brewery together and got licensed and um, started actually making beer. And um, now I can make beer a lot more often and not have to drink it all myself, <laughs> which, which should be good for my waistline. <laughs> I'm hoping at any rate. So I work as the sales director and kind of bar manager and barkeeper at Rare Form Brewing Company uh, in Troy, and that was kind of my jumping off point into the industry. Uh, and I realized that a lot of my personal belief and goals, you know, I believe in environmental sustainability, I believe in local business, I believe in bringing back agriculture, um, and all of those are really encompassed by farm brewing law and what we're doing here at the Cary Institute, and also what we're doing at Rare Form because we're purchasing local ingredients and we're working with farmers and we're walking the fields and we're seeing exactly what's going on, and that's a unique opportunity that we have upstate New York um, that isn't really happening in all parts of the country. <clears throat> and one of our workshops. Um, one of the distillers said that uh, he would guarantee inconsistency in his in his uh, products. Um, every every one is going to be different, so you've got to you've got to taste all of them, you know, to make sure that you get to get every every flavor that, you, that you'd like. And I think that I think that is something that craft beer drinkers kind of like to have. But geez, this was this was a really good beer. Well, so is this one, but it's somewhat different. Hey guys, this has been really great. We're out here at the Cary Institute, the Heidelberg Brewery. You guys have been really awesome leaders in encouraging people to use New York State grains and and, and teaching them you know how to do small batches. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great. We're up here in Albany County, which is a, a great historical place, Rensselaerville, and. Uh, We'll be on the road with Beer Sessions Radio. All right. What would a trip to the capital region of New York State be without going to the capital? Next stop, Albany. So here we are at the state capital in Albany. We came up to Albany County to talk about the New York Farm Brewery License and all the great changes that have happened in, in New York State agriculture and we were talking about farm trust laws and everything but number one New York State's doing a great job uh, thinking about ways to get farms and agricultural communities you know more vibrant again and we're happy to be here right in front of the state capitol in Albany all right 
We're up here in Albany County. We had a long day. We went to Indian Ladder Farms. We're in Hop Field, or Hop Yard, as they say, uh, Barley Field. Uh, we had a, a rainstorm. The combine broke. Uh, we had great lunch at Indian Ladder Farm. Talked about you know, f- land trusts and farm brewery licenses. But we're kind of wrapping it up here. We came into Albany, the Albany Pump Station, C.H. Evans. and There's nothing quite like going to... It's fun going to breweries, but I'm still a big fan of uh, kind of the urban restaurant bar setting. Creature um, of comforts and a lot of tap, big tap systems. So we'll find our friends. There's Lori over there from... Uh, and Dieter... Got the whole crew here, Indian Ladder. So we're just a walking radio show. Welcome to see you, Good to see you, man. Dieter. Long time. It's been a long time. Where have you been? <laughs> uh, my name is Scott Veltman. I'm the head brewer here at C.H. Evans Brewing Company here in Albany, New York. <laughs> hey, man. How's it going? Good to see you, man. Always Thanks for having us. No problem. Welcome. So this is a... What is this place called? Albany Pump House? This is the C.H. Uh, Evans Brewing Company at the Albany Pump Station. Located right down here in Quackenbush Square, right here in Albany. This is great. What is this, a historical building? Yeah, it's, uh, it was originally the old pumping station for the uh, city of Albany. So this place used to pump the water out of the Hudson and make it dispersed throughout the whole city for water purposes. Everybody knows where this place is. Everyone knows this place. It's so old. <laughs> hey, why don't you give us a, a tour around the brewery? How yeah, about cool. that? Hold on. I'm going to shut this down real quick. Okay. <laughs> so the brewery here, like you can see it, it's in the glass case. Again, what I love about these kind of like brew pubs. As, as you can smell, you know. I was brewing today. It smells good. <laughs> right? What, is, what do you smell? I smell like bread. You smell bread? Uh, I smell dankness from the hops, uh, a little grassiness, kind of like hay in the way as well. And how'd you start brewing? Uh, well, I started brewing at Brewery Omegang uh, back in 2010. And uh, was there for a few years, and then in February of 2015, uh, yeah, 2015, I uh, came here because Ryan needed an assistant brewer. So it's like, oh, it'd be nice to get away from a bigger company and go somewhere a little bit smaller where I can have the freedom to, to brew what I like. So you, you're living, we met you yesterday at Indian Ladder Farms. So you live in that area, you know, have you been helping out at their brewery as well? Oh, absolutely, yeah, because uh, I literally have to drive by that farm every single day. So... If I see Dieter's car there, or if I see Stewart's car there, I have to stop in. Um, but right before they launched, we did a, uh, a collaboration beer for um, uh, Indian Ladder. Uh, it was called Dr. Paul Matthews. It was named after uh, hop geneticist Mr. Paul Matthews himself. Uh, he developed this hop called Eureka. Um, and the best way to describe it, it's very, very dank, and uh, it's very minty. And it was a very... Uh, aromatic hop and I we just loved how that turned out and one night it's like oh we we have this uh we have this tank that we can we can bring to your brewery and we can brew to your place and then we can truck it over to the farm that night and then start fermenting it like all right that's cool so we get a hold of Dieter it's like okay we can do it this day but it'd have to be at night so that way we can put the tank right outside the front door and take all our brewery hose from our from our brewery itself and pump it right to that tank and uh yeah, Dieter shows up with a bunch of his Synergy malt, which they just harvested more of it yesterday, um, some of his hops, and then he brought those Eurekas. So I thought it was, they were playing a, a sick joke on us. It's like, hey, Dieter, did you forget something? It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, did you forget your fermenter? He looked around, and he's like, oh, 
yeah, it's back at the farm. I got to go get it. <laughs> but that was, that was a fun night, and that beer turned out phenomenal. You're not a farm brewery licensed brewery. No, no we're not a farm brewery. Um, because we will use uh, some malt from Indian Ladder or any, uh, actually, Pioneer Malting is another one that we would use out of Rochester. Uh, but mostly we just stick with Canadian malt and, uh, and some other U.S. malts from, like, Colorado area, a little bit from Wisconsin. Tell us about how the New York ingredients are being used and maybe the potential you see of the New York ingredients. Yeah, like. well, right now... Um, it's been like a few years uh, since the hop industry has really started booming around here. And same with the malt. So it's slightly getting better, which is really nice because, you know, three, four years ago, you're trying to get New York State malt, and it was not great. So people were like, eh, it's going to be tough for, for everyone to be a part of uh, trying to support all these New York farmers and try to get all their malts and all their, all their, uh, their hops out there. And then the quality just started skyrocketing in the past couple of years, which is phenomenal, which I love. Because nowadays, it's like I give a, give a shout to Indian Ladder or Hop Holler down in Steventown. Say, like, hey, what kind of hops do you have? Let's, let's take a look at them, see what we can use them in. And it's starting to yeah. get that way now, which is awesome. Something so you we always are want. using New York ingredients, yep. but only partially. Only partially. Um, once a year, we do a uh, 100% New York State beer. Um, we'll just use New York State malts. Uh, we'll use some hops from my house up in Knox. Um, get a hold of Dieter, get some of his hops, get some of uh, the hops from Hop Holler. Okay, so right now we're, on, we're in the, uh, the hot side, a.k.a. The, the brewery itself. Yeah, so now we're going to walk you guys up to the uh, fermentation cellar and where the bright tanks are. So it'll be, it, was a little la- it was a little louder. It was loud in the brewery. <laughs> And then, so do you think you could one day be using all New York State ingredients, you know, down the road? Oh, absolutely. Um, if, the, if the farmers can, can keep up with that demand, we could do that. We, we don't have a uh, New York farm, li- or a farm brewery license um, because we just can't, we, we produce a little bit more than uh, some smaller breweries would do, where they have to use New York grain and New York products, where it'd be really tough for, for us to source out all these all this grain and take away from the smaller guys and you know once the, the market happens and we get more more grain and more hops from New York State then but the only problem another problem is um, the pricing is way too high as well it, it's very expensive because you know they're, they're small farmers you know and in order to do that you have to you know mark it up a little bit like uh, a couple years ago I remember someone out in central New York was selling cascades for uh, I think it was like eighteen dollars a pound. Usually, like between uh, like six to nine dollars a pound. So it was quite the markup. And it's like, oh, you know, if we want to buy, you know, like two hundred pounds of it, that's quite a that's a big chunk of change out of my pocket. <laughs> when did you guys get your license here? Uh, back in '97. Yeah, so that was before or there was a, a craft. A farm brewery license, but also in their defense, they're being honest because yep. it's easier to get a farm brewery license. And, and at this at this stage, some people are getting both. They're getting a microbrewery license and a farm brewery license. So, you know, we hope to see more New York State production oh, and absolutely. ingredients. And uh, we're all behind. That's part of the show is, yeah. is talking about the farm brewery license. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, hopefully in the next couple of years we can get a lot more farmers out there and. Uh, producing and 
let the uh, the mid-sized breweries, the mid-sized brew pubs, I should say, um, get into that. This is one of my favorite breweries I've been in. I mean, just the space, <laughs> this historical building, it's kind of what you expect. Got creative, you put the ferment, fermenting tanks up here above the bar. Oh, yeah. And it's beautiful, old right. brick. And uh, I think that we have a lot more to think about in terms of the New York Farm Brewery license, uh, the use of uh, farmland trusts to preserve farms, and, you know, we all have an obligation. One, if we want our beer to be better, uh, we probably want to have more local ingredients and, and, and local brewers. And two, if, if we care about farming in New York State, which is a big agricultural state, we have to get behind uh, supporting these, these farms. And if it means being able to grow hops and other value-added products and whether they're able to also make cider or, or beer, um, we have to all be behind that. And I think that's a big lesson that we learned from this episode of the license to brew on the road with Beer Sessions Radio. Awesome. Good work. Hey, give me a high five. High five. Slap hands, slap hands. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Beer Sessions Radio on the Road. If you want to visit the Capital Region and the craft beverage makers profiled in this radio special, check out the Escape Maker package on heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks to the craft beverage producers we met in this episode. Dietrich Gehring, Stuart Morris, and Laura Tenike of Indian Ladder Farms. Rebecca Plateau, Greg Back, and Greg Hostish of Helderberg Brewery and the Cary Institute and Scott Veltman of C.H. Evans at the Albany Pump Station. This episode was hosted by me, Jimmy Carboni. It was produced and recorded by Caitlin Pierce with help from Harry Huggins. The episode was engineered, mixed, and scored by David Tadashore with editorial oversight by Aaron Fairbanks, all for the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening. <laughs>